The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a good football show. I am your host, Patrick Darty, here today with Kyle Dvorak and Patrick Corain, where we will be previewing Thursday night football and some of Week 14's biggest games, including the reeling Bills at the Bucks and the Chiefs hosting the Raiders. We will also have Pat's uh, stat of the week, I think. We didn't talk about it before the show, and we will attempt to dive into every fantasy relevant player. Guys, really the only thing we did talk about before the show is that we don't have any pre-banter prepared today, but it seemed like you know, it seemed like a very week 14 day before the show. It seemed like maybe you guys were dragging a bit and just seeing, seeing this is like a life check-in on you guys. How, how's everyone doing here? I feel good. I mean, I was saying before the show that <laughs> I'm really dreading week 15, right? Because that's when the buys end. And so that adds more work to all of our plate for, for writing and everything. But right now, week 14, I mean, you know, waivers are kind of starting to dry up. You know, there's not. I mean, hallelujah. I mean, I don't. I want. Sure. I mean, actually, I mean, I want to win championships in all my leagues. So. <laughs> That's uh, hilarious. No, the waivers <laughs> are over. I mean, it's it's. We're feeling good. There's still a couple of buys. Like this is as good as it's going to get. So I'm I'm in a pretty good mood today. Yeah, the buys end, but I, I should ask you guys uh, live on the show. Does anyone want to do two Saturday games next week? Both of them. <laughs> are there Saturday <laughs> games next week? Two Saturday games. I was thinking about, I'll take people behind the scenes. I was thinking about offering someone two Saturday games in exchange for not working Sunday. But uh, yeah, just, just get back to me on that, guys. Well, I uh, am working Saturday on, does, how does that work? I'm, I'm just doing. Oh, yeah. Well, Sunday. take take well, we the Sunday off the table. Out. Take the Sunday off the table before he <laughs> yeah, takes <all> right. it. <laughs> we got to figure that out, Pat. Uh, and you know, it's funny. We keep running into the ultimate first world problem. We're like, we're like the only people in the world, like, think the football season's like too long. I like probably weren't happy about the extra game. Like people have to work in Are the industry. Uh, I think the average fan, I mean, you're going to hear the, average I don't know. Fan I think fans of the Jets, season. the Giants, Houston, the lions are all like, you know what? Let's do a zero week football season this year, next year, and maybe extend that to one more year. I think spouses, parents, and children of football. Oh, fans that's true. That's true. That's long. true. That's a really, really good point. I forgot about you for, oh, yes. how, um, I have a brief question. That's how, my how whole long, point, Pat. How long have you been married, Pat? I've only been married since 2014, but we've been together since 2004. I could see in that case how you'd forget that you had a spouse. That makes sense. Well, I just don't ever see her on Sundays. I say goodbye. Like I kneel down. 
like kiss my kids' foreheads like I'm you know about to uh, be shipped <laughs> off to England to prepare for the invasion of France. Uh-huh. I say I'll see you when I when I when I get back whenever that is. But just know I'll always remember you. If you wanted to see your your significant other <laughs> you on don't. Sunday though, I could make you an offer that there are some Saturday shifts that need worked. So if you wanted to <laughs> Hey, I did Saturday a few weeks ago. There was some stuff going down. Saturdays by the way, you guys, you know, are both fairly new at NBC Sports Edge within the past year or two. Saturdays used to be a lot less busy. Ever since this this coronavirus business, teams are making a lot of moves on Saturdays now, and it's way, way harder than it used to be. So that's another thing I blame the novel cor- coronavirus for, is making the Saturday shifts less relaxing to take people behind the scenes here at NBC Sports Edge. Yeah, for the first, like, year I worked at NBC, because when you're new, obviously, like, you don't want to have the heaviest workload. I was just working like obscure Thursday nights. Like they like, I think you guys just like to get me practice being alone made up. Like you're going to work the 12 to three 30 AM shift for us. And I was like, oh, yep. that's awesome, yep. man. And it's stuck. Yeah. You're still doing that. You're still doing that. Here, huh? I haven't written a blurb yet this year. People always say like, who wrote that blurb? Who wrote that blurb? I was like, not me unless you read it at 3 AM. Yeah. We need you to, yeah. I need to check to see if you've actually been posting any blurbs then. Cause if not, you're fired. I'm going to go. Sorry. I'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> and yeah, so anyways, we're all doing great, taking everyone behind the curtain. Like, I mean, I, this strikes me as a very first world problem. I say this because I was talking to my hairdresser the other day, and she's really into fantasy football, and she's in like three or four leagues. And I was you know, like lamenting the season like, going on and on and on. She was like, really? She's like, it's like, I'm sad that it's getting close to ending. And I was like, well, yep, I've got a first world problem on my hands here, I think being upset that the football is here. We're in too yep, deep. Yep, and too deep. Does she know and who you are? I mean, <laughs> I, she knows that I work as a fantasy football professional. I've given her some <laughs> magazines. So, yeah, she knows She knows who I am. She knows I'm just like a rock star, you know, like a superstar. That's why she charges me $300 a haircut, too. No, she does not charge me $300 a haircut. <laughs> yeah, yeah, her yeah. Her hands are all shaking. I can't believe she's... He's, he's going to be on the Sunday live show sponsored by she Apple. I can't believe oh she's God. cutting the hair of the roto pad. It's just like she's just shaking in her boots. Um, yeah, so anyways, the let's get deal. started on this show here. Uh, we begin in Minnesota where points bet has the Vikings as three-point home favorites against the Steelers. The short week comes at a bad time for the Vikings who are adjusting to life without Adam Thielen and trying to rush back Dalvin Cook from his shoulder injury. Kyle, how is this Vikings passing attack going to shake out without Adam Thielen? Is it pretty straightforward where hopefully just more hopefully more red zone opportunities for Justin Jefferson, hopefully just more targets in general for Tyler Conklin, and is more overall usage for K.J. Osborne? Is it that simple? Yeah, to me, that's probably how it goes. I also wouldn't be surprised to see them run the football more. I am not, like, the Dalvin Cook situation is pretty weird. He was expected to miss at a minimum two weeks. I think the, the quote was, like, at least weeks 13 and 14 was the quote from Schefter. But he gets limited, limited on his final two days of practice. I still think he's less likely to play than he is likely to play, obviously. So I still think they have the potential to just run the ball more with Alexander Madison, who they've been completely comfortable playing as if he's Dalvin Cook. and like, borderline Dalvin Cook plus. He's averaging in three starts this year. 24 carries, 104 yards, I believe, plus a ton of targets. So I think they run the football a lot. And when they pass, it's like almost exclusively to Justin Jefferson, who like as much as we've seen a pretty reasonable split between him and Thielen, based on the overall explosive nature of Justin Jefferson, it's very clear that they use Thielen because he's reliable, he's good in the red zone, but he is not the focal point of any team's passing attack. And Justin Jefferson is like the focal point of the league in terms of how good he is as a receiver. So yeah, I think we see tons of Justin Jefferson, 
probably an uptick, as you said, KJ Osborne, Tyler Conklin, but I also think very much a spot where we could just see them continue to lean on the run game, which is traditionally how the Vikings have wanted to play. They just haven't often, especially recently, had the defense support that style. Is there any chance this is bad for Justin Jefferson that they get to like focus? Now there's not a, a legit wide receiver too to focus defensive attention on, or could teams already, I, maybe teams couldn't be covering Justin Jefferson any more than they already were and it doesn't matter. I think it could be bad in the sense of adding volatility where you do see sometimes with these alpha wide receivers that they get, you know, they can sometimes dud unless it's like a Devonte Adams type of situation where he's just going to get thrown to constantly. But you do see like with Stefan Diggs and that type of thing, you see, you know, there's sometimes some up and down performances, even when a guy is clearly the number one option. So from that sense, maybe it's bad, although he's so good that it is like, you know, you're kind of up. Is he up to the challenge of maybe AJ Brown was a was a better comparison than than Stefan Diggs, by the way. But, you know, are, are you up to the challenge of like carrying an entire passing game? And I think Justin Jefferson is up to that challenge. So I, I kind of say bring it on. I think the thing with, you know, Thielen, he only had a one point six zero yards per run, which isn't bad, but it's not great. But he did have 10 touchdowns this season. And so I think it might hurt Cousins to some extent. You might get some more running around the goal line, but that's also a place where Jefferson maybe gets some of that, some of those looks that Thielen was getting. So if there's additional touchdown equity in Jefferson's role, you know, that can help make up for potentially some more inefficiency on a per target basis. And Jefferson is running pretty hot. He has an 11.0 yards per target this year. So he's facing a headwind of some potential negative aggression, not just potentially some more defense, defensive coverage on him. Yeah, it's just, I just feel like I don't know how it's going to play out because obviously the obvious response would be to run more, but we, you know they have no idea if their number one running back is like ready for that kind of workload. It's a short week. Before we get to Dalvin Cook, real quick, I mean, is KJ Osborne like wide receiver four live? Like, would you rate KJ Osborne as like a top forty-eight receiver this week? Maybe even top forty if you really want to push it. Or are the targets just too low quality? The touchdown odds too low. No, I think it's perfectly fine to throw him in that usable wide receiver four range. I do think, as Pat said, I think the entire offense is just more volatile because Thielen was at least a player who's moving the chains, scoring in the red zone. That's overall good for the offensive efficiency. I think the fact that targets now are probably likely to go somewhere else is a net positive, especially for the KJ Osborne, Tyler Conklins, where they were pretty hit or miss. It's probably a net positive for them. But losing a good offensive player who can move the chains, who can get in the paint, is not at least a, a, a downright good thing for the offense. It can't be, even if it does shift targets somewhere else. So I think overall net positive for the fantasy expectation, especially of the ancillary pieces. But if the offense is worse, then that might end up canceling out. So I think it's better, but I would, wouldn't go so far as say, oh, well, we're locked in for eight KJ Osborne targets or something like that. I still think it's a volatile situation. It just boosts him into usable territory where outside of the first few weeks, Osborne was pretty much just needed a touchdown to even put up wide receiver three numbers. Yeah, I'd be maybe even a little bit more pessimistic than that where Osborne's playing in the slot primarily. He's getting 56, 57% of his snaps in the slot. And so a lot of the routes that are now opening up are on the outside. I don't know that Osborne's going to be on the field like a ton more than he already was. He's already running around on 72% of dropbacks. So, you know, is he going to get used in the same role that Thielen was around the goal line? Because that's kind of the key question. And I don't think that he will. I was joking around that Thielen should have tight end eligibility because he's so touchdown dependent. So like what's opening up outside routes and potentially some goal line looks, but the goal line looks, I think far more likely to go to Jefferson or running back through, through a rushing 
attack. And then those outside routes probably go to another wide receiver. Do, we, do the Vikings have another receiver, by the way, on the roster? Like BC Johnson still on the Vikings? Dude, I feel like I remember blurbing that BC Johnson got put on IR before roster cuts. So he's, I don't know if that's 100% true. Amir Smith Marsh. I was going to look up who else won. Yeah, he's there. DD Westbrook was there, although I don't know. His yeah, I was going to say, D.D. Westbrook was a returner for them, Amir Smith-Marset, but he's been at least healthy scratch a bunch this year. I think he was also banged up at some point. I truly have no it's clue. It's fairly D.D. Westbrook. I mean, he's apparently played 11 games and caught nine passes. So I wonder if D.D. Westbrook's going to start seeing a lot of... Well, D.D. Westbrook played a lot in the slot though early in his career, too. Like, where... Who... How is this Yeah, he's kind of a slot guy. Um, I don't know. We don't know. This is... I feel like... It, Justin Jefferson. Not be, yeah, Justin like, Jefferson. Yeah. All roads lead to justin jefferson does, does this dent kirk cousins is qb1 like i get he's been a qb1 does this like dent his streamability at all does it make you not consider him a locked in top 12 or is there still gonna be enough volume there where like you're comfortable having kirk cousins in the top 12 actually like the more we talk about it the more like it definitely has to be a concern for the overall offense and the reason i say like you know you can't really just vault kj osborne a wide receiver three i'm a little comfortable with him as like wide receiver four ish 48 was like i thought was fair though i don't know if i'd go as far as top 40 but the fact that you are inserting these like street veterans like td westbrook not like you know he's a, a traditional punter kick returner whatever special teams player inserting these types of players in the lineup is not good for the offensive efficiency and if they choose to run the ball more as we speculate they will in this game that is also not good for the offensive efficiency and is an even bigger ding to kirk cousins i still think given that his number one receiver is Justin Jefferson, they've both played great this year. He is live for QB one numbers, but I'd feel much more comfortable with him as a QB one. If he had his touchdown scoring machine and Adam Thielen. Would you guys rather start Kirk cousins against the Steelers on Thursday night or Russell Wilson in Houston on Sunday, Russell Wilson for me, which we'll get to the reasons why, but I mean, part of it with cousins too, is that he's had some really nice matchups, you know, including the Detroit matchup last week. So you're getting him kind of moving into some harder matchups. I, I'm not like scared of the Steelers defense, but it's certainly not Detroit. And so, you know, moving there without Thielen, which those touchdowns, they go to Cousins too. I mean, that's a big part of the appeal for him is that, you know, he does throw a touchdown. So you're not getting any mobility out of him. If we're seeing a little bit more rushing around the goal line, that's that's a problem. Kyle, would you rather start Kirk Cousins against the Steelers or Joe Burrow against the 49ers? Joe Burrow. Really? I've got Kirk Cousins ahead of both those guys and maybe famous last words. I'm, I just feel like – I just don't know how they're going to be able to lean on the running game the way they're going to need to. And they've actually been passing, like, so consistently. He's, he's been so – he has 25 touchdowns and three interceptions. Uh, I mean, Adam Thielen's not, like, any small loss, but I – have, I have no faith – that they that this game and their opponent will have and the Steelers will have really any chance at forcing them to pass the ball. I think with the Pittsburgh probably playing to try and put up 17 points, something like that, it's the perfect spot to go ahead. And I don't want to say waste drives, but like really when you are going like run, run, pass, you're trying to waste drives. But versus Pittsburgh, I think that's an offense that allows you to, I'm going to call it make mistakes, right? It allows you to just say, I don't know, let's burn the clock, waste a few drives, run the football as much as possible. If they were playing an opponent who could maybe drop 30 in a given game, which I, I don't see Pittsburgh as that likely to do, I'd maybe be more concerned that they don't get to do what we think they would prefer. And in terms of the, the passing game, I did look it up. They have, I believe, 70 combined yards to all non-Osborne, Thielen, Jefferson wide receivers. And we did name the two. It's uh, Amir Smith-Marset, who I think has like six yards, and D.D. Westbrook. So, I mean, it's no one. It's, they have no one behind them, and that is overall bad for the offense. 
I guess it's worth mentioning Tyler Conklin, though, since what's opening up as well is, is some touchdown equity. And so, you know, the tight end would be kind of a natural way to replace that, especially with defenses really keying on Jefferson. And if it is Conklin, I mean, tight end is pretty thin, as we talk about all the time. So that'd be very helpful, a lot more helpful than if it's Osborne, I think. Yeah, I think it definitely solidifies Tyler Conklin as a tight end one because I mean, the, the target, I think he had, he matched his career season high for catches last week and set a new season high for targets, I believe. And it's the most natural one for one replacement for Adam Thielen in the red zone. And Corrine, you made like the, the tight end joke for Adam Thielen. I've been saying that all year. And he, he's ever like a tight end, like 10.7 yards per catch. Like he, on paper, he was looking like a tight end. So really hoping that some of those targets go to Mr. Tyler Conklin real quick on the running game. I mean, Dalvin cook, if he plays Thursday night, do you think it's for his normal role or is he going to be someone who's ranked more as like a, on the RB one, two borderline as opposed to like the locked in top five RB one he is whenever he's healthy. I'd be a little hesitant with him coming back right away, especially because this wasn't a game. Like, like I said, the initial report is that he would not play this game. It's a short turnaround because they play on Thursday, obviously. I would be a little hesitant that he sees everything. And the fact that they've been so comfortable, and they've showed this the past two years, so comfortable as soon as he's out giving Alexander Madison his workload and maybe a little more. I would say we probably still see some Madison, but like, are you benching an active Dalvin Cook? I don't think so. Crane, same. Are we good there with Dalvin Cook? No, I mean, I, 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 think the same i guess i think there's upside that they kind of give him the full workload because we've kind of seen that they're just leaning on a guy sure. and i also like that like i kind of I like the attitude of like if our main guy's healthy enough we're just gonna play him and you know we're not gonna tip our hand with kind of any rotations if he's not healthy enough we'll just play madison all the time so i think there's upside but i i agree it's probably prudent to assume that he doesn't have like a full workload for the Steelers. You know, I'm always asking about like streaming QBs for some reason. I don't really know why I don't know if it's the most exciting topic, but Ben Roethlisberger is the QB 12 by average points over the past five weeks. And while we still haven't really seen much of a ceiling, it does seem like the floor has really come up more multiple score performances, like more like 260, 270 yard performances do we tr- do we like Ben Roethlisberger at all? I mean, we, we don't like him in the top 12, but do we like him as like a mid-range QB2? Like the part of the board he's at is like Derek Carr, Cam Newton, Ryan Tannehill, Jimmy Garoppolo, Taylor Heineke. Do you think like Ben has earned like m- mid-range, maybe even higher end QB2 consideration? I'd slow my roll there at mid-range QB2. I think mid-range QB2 is fine. It's like if you tell me you think he's better than Taylor Heineke or Ryan Tannehill with maybe Julio Jones back if he's lucky. Yeah, I don't have any problem making that argument. But as you start pushing him to say the, you know, 14, 15, 16 range, at that point, like, I I don't think he's like an improved player by any means. I mean, over the past four weeks, like you said, his touchdowns have looked good, but I think that's probably the the least sustainable part. The more sustainable part that he's QB 26 over the past four weeks and adjusted completion percentage, QB 19 in passing grade per pro football focus. Mm -hmm. He's still Ben Roethlisberger. He's maybe playing marginally better, but that doesn't give me a ton of confidence that he won't regress what we saw early in the year. Sure. QB two is fine. If you are looking, if you're t- if like you play in a league where people are really sharp on the waiver wire, many of our listeners do at that point. Sure. He's probably viable. I'm sure. I mean, I, I know actually my favorite home dynasty league. I have Jalen hurts. I'm playing Ben Roethlisberger. I'm not the most excited about it though. Yeah. I, I, he kind of almost looks like a reverse version of Carson Wentz where you're getting kind of like sort of a low upside or low volume passing game, but whereas Carson Wentz kind of stinks at everything, but throwing deep, you know, Roethlisberger can't throw deep. 
So <laughs> you don't you don't really have any kind of upside. I guess touchdowns, but Kyle made the point there. I, I don't think we're really counting on that with Roethlisberger. He's not very accurate. He hasn't been that efficient. It's kind of a low upside passing game in general. So besides that, besides that, yeah. besides so, that, I think everything's looking pretty good. I'd rather in general, like I'd rather take a shot on a guy that I, I mean, like even Garoppolo can have really efficient days because he's got guys like Kittle, I even IU, you know. So I, I would also take the under on Roethlisberger. Well, you're talking about Roethlisberger going deep. Chase Claypool has notched at least one 37-yard reception in three straight games, and the targets haven't really gone up, but like Claypool's yardage has really creeped up the past three games, and it's come as Pat Fryermuth has kind of come back down to earth. Fryermuth only has 11 catches for 77 yards and two touchdowns over his past three games, so nice that he's still finding the end zone, but he's kind of come back down to earth. Chase Claypool is at least like showing signs of life. Do we think anything is afoot there with the Steelers' pass catchers, or is that just variance, statistical noise over a small sample size? I just wanted to point out that Fireman's very touchdown dependent. So, you know, that's really – he's not running a full slate of routes. And you should have gone, Kyle, because now my dog's found a, a squeaky toy to play with. <laughs> you know, he's not running full slate of routes. He only has a 1.30 yards per route run this season, which isn't very good. Even for a tight end, that's not great. So – it's very noisy with Briarmouth, but it's going to be noisy. This, that's a whole bet is that he basically gets in the end zone. Well, I don't know if you know this, but Briarmouth's actually been touchdown dependent is the thing I was going to say. So it, it really didn't, it didn't, <laughs> it didn't matter. Uh, I, you know, I have Briarmouth 26 in weighted opportunity among tight ends. He's 15th in tight end targets, but he has a five, eight out. So his yards per target, like I know yards per target isn't the most sticky, but when you are running like pumped up running back routes, like that's, that's going to happen. You're going to have low efficiency. Well, it's correlated with ADOT. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's sticky to the, in the sense of like, if you're, you know, Jamar Chase, you're going to have a much higher ADOT yeah, yeah. or you're going to have a much higher yards per target than Pat Barmuth because your ADOT's much, much higher. The dog Sorry, likes. I got to go, go get this squeaky toy from my dog. The dog likes Pat Fryermuth. I think, or actually, maybe this is a dislike of Pat Fryermuth. I'm not sure. When you grab the squeaky toy, Pat, could you ask the dog if the, this is pro or anti Fryermuth? Because I think generally the consensus. I'll get. I'll get a sense. <laughs> get I'll, an answer. I'll look in his eyes and see his thoughts. He'll, he'll get a sense. He'll get a sense. I'll wrap up Fryermuth in that, like, he's not seeing great volume. He's not like elite routes run. He's not like running 100 routes. He's not seeing a ton of targets, and his 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 air yards are like. Frankly, they're kind of pitiful. He is any other touchdown or bust tight end. I think he's probably above average at scoring touchdowns. I think even though touchdowns are pretty tricky to predict, players are better or worse at scoring touchdowns. He's probably good at that, but he's not seeing elite volume. He's base. He's Tyler Conklin. He's any of these, you know, no-name tight end one-ish guys. We head next to Tampa Bay where points bet has the humbled Bills arriving as three-point underdogs. Monday night was the toughest of scenes for Buffalo, who watched the Pats storm into town and win while attempting three passes. Crane, we know the weather was awful, but was this sort of a crystallization of the fears that we hate to say it, that the Bills are a finesse team, Pat? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, the the <laughs> wind was out of control, nope. right? Like, finesse, the, finesse. they couldn't... <laughs> Dude, the kicks, the kicks before the games, the tweets about the kicks before the games were so much fun. These kicks were wild. Like, what are what are the yeah. Pats then? Yeah. Like a real football yeah. team? A real they American threw football three team. Times? Yeah, I, I think the thing with the Bills is that all season you've seen kind of middling efficiency out of Josh Allen, and that it's been pumped up by volume. 
where they've led all year in situation neutral pass rate. They've had a really strong pass rate over expected. They're still at 5% even after playing in that wind game. I mean, I I consider like excluding New England's pass rate over expected from my spreadsheet and stuff because it's <laughs> ruining all sorts of things. Like the Bills are now the <laughs> run funnel in the yeah. league because the Patriots shifted against, you know, they like shifted against the bills to the run in such an extreme way but of course we know that was the wind and not because of the matchup necessarily so you know it was kind of wacky what the patriots are doing but on the other side the bills kind of looked like the bills i mean they certainly made some shifts to the run from where they usually are but they didn't do anything nearly as dramatic so that volume that the bills provide through the high pass rate you know through through high pass rates really in all situations allows them to still put up big fantasy production, even though Allen hasn't been playing that great for the whole season. And they've had a very easy schedule. So I think, you know, rather than the kind of finesse game or finesse team narrative, I think maybe the the schedule getting harder narrative has a lot more merit. And it is an exposing something we've seen all season, which is that they are very volume dependent for fantasy production because the efficiency hasn't been what we expected after last year's breakout season for Allen. Pat, did you exclude that from your stuff? I totally would throw that game out. I think it's like one of the most useless like collections of data. May- maybe not for Buffalo since they didn't seem to stray too far in terms of Buffalo offense, right? But like, can you learn almost anything? Well, like, do you think you can learn anything I, I, useful from I'll the jump Pat in real quick because like, obviously it, this is like an outlier game, like you said, like that that's for real. But it was, so the, the Patriots, you know, like the, the buzz coming into the game, not just the weather, was the Patriots would try to basically run it down their throat because like the Bills' run defense has had like decent numbers on the surface. Right. They have gotten hammered by the power rushing attacks, and the Titans and the Colts, and now the Patriots. Where that might run funnel might be like too strong. It's taken like two like elite talents and then one like elite scheme to do that to them. But it does seem like they do now have a genuine vulnerability. To like these, like I don't even know what to call it, like old school running games. Well, yeah, that was that was their preferred style last year too. They got more efficient against the run this year, but they, I mean, they showed exactly their I think philosophical approach last year was like let's stop the pass. That's how you win in the NFL, and teams ran all over them last year. They've balanced out a little more this year, but I do agree that is generally their style. I mean, it was like historically, like NFL yeah, history, it was an historic. outlier game. <laughs> I think it was top or bottom five pass attempts for a winning team in a game ever. They were very close to going one completed pass throughout the entire game. Bumped that up to like, what, three, four, three, I think. It was two completed passes, three attempts. Oh my God. I, I didn't exclude it for the reason okay. you mentioned the Bills. Like I, sure. the Bills, I'm not excluding the Bills. So it felt kind of like odd or like wrong to exclude one team, but not yeah, the other yeah. if it was such a... And to Pat's point, there is kind of some run funnel stuff going on here. So what I did, I, I put a note in the cell that was basically like, don't ever write about this without mentioning the New England game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny. It, by the way, it was like an impressive physical game for Josh Allen. Like, I don't think there's anyone else in the league who cut through the win like he did in a lot of those throws. And, you know, the whole everything about the game might have been different if Steph Diggs had been able to track that really wonky ball in the air. You know, it didn't look like it was moving, but it was clearly moving. You know, it's like hit off his arm. Like that was like a game changing play there. Like you can't, you can't blame Steph for not catching it in those conditions, but that was a game. And just, yeah, the, the bill. So like, what is going on with these bills receivers? Cause over the past five weeks, Emmanuel Sanders is barely cracking the top 75 and half PPR points per game. Cole Beasley is nowhere near 
the top 75. Gabe Davis is finally mixing in more. Steph Diggs has been like much higher end wide receiver one in that time span than he had been coming in. It's like, are there any trends in, in this Bills receiver core? Or is this because Beasley was hurt? It's because they're just struggling. Like, is there anything to cling to in the data with these Bills receivers? I mean, when the Bills offense is struggling. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I still think. <laughs> You, you, no, you go at this point. No, go ahead. I actually, I had two points. That was the second of them, as as I could tell. You know, we had like, when you just look at the, the previous four or five games, right? You get the ugly New England game. You get the terrible Jacksonville game. You get, oh, the game that got killed by Jonathan Taylor and couldn't sustain a drive. They put up, I think, like a garbage time touchdown at the end to get them to 15 or something. So when you look at just the small sample of the previous games, you get, as you pointed out, I think it was a nine snap game from Cole Beasley, like five weeks ago, probably on the dot. And since that game, they have at least had their normal rotation of receivers where Sanders and Diggs play almost every snap. Beasley is clearly the third receiver in terms of snaps, but his usage is higher when he's on the field. But he gets pulled off every now and then for Gabe Davis. To me, that's going to make all of them but Stephon Diggs pretty volatile. And then you combine the volatility that they have just shown us on the field with weird games like losing to Jacksonville and scoring six. Those are like those are the types of outcomes you're going to get weird Sanders games, like create like Gabe Davis scores a touchdown type of stuff. I still think we treat them pretty much as normal, but we can't, it's just a less safe team. And that's probably mostly from the team themselves, the offense, Josh Allen, not playing quite as well. They're a bit volume dependent when a team like Jonathan Taylor or when a team like the Patriots run all over them. Yeah. You're kind of going to get doused unless like Stephon Diggs catches, you know, six for 60. He's the, he's probably the one safe option, right? You're never benching him. Everyone else. There's a reasonable argument to bench versus other, like, you know, Maybe like Cole Beasley or KJ Osborne. This is a good one. Pat, Cole Beasley or KJ Osborne this week. God, I think Cole Beasley just because you, you get the, the pass funnel effect here. <laughs> Pat, what did you have you divined anything from the noise with the Bills receivers or it's not really? It just it's kind of like we don't we don't know. Well, I think Kyle said it well, and you know, there's it's just a lot of split volume here gabriel davis you know he's done a good job of of earning targets when he's out on the field he's got a 14.5 ADOT. he gets targeted on 17 percent of his routes which is pretty nice he's a 1.95 yards per route run like very interesting kind of profile except he ran around 30 percent of dropbacks last week so he's just not out there nearly enough to where you'd ever really consider him you know it's like kind of dart throats dfs stuff only and even that's like pretty thin so i think the the thing that jumps out to me is that stefan diggs he has an 8.5 yards per target. He's been targeted with an 8 out of 12.1. We know Diggs is an elite talent. He's getting targeted pretty deep. We just talked about how yards per target is correlated with the depth of, of the target. And so he's underperforming where, you know, he still has a 2.06 yards per outrun, which is very good. But, like, don't lose faith with Stefan Diggs having truly elite upside. I think he he definitely still does. There's kind of more meat on the bone given his role. And then, of course, we now get the pass funnel in the Buccaneers. Teams are shifting 10% to the run and or 10% to the pass, excuse me, 10% to the pass in pass rate over expected, which is a huge shift. They're averaging a 10% pass rate over expected against the Buccaneers, which is crazy high. That's like the most pass heavy team in the league, you know, is whoever's playing the Bucs. And we've seen this type of effect all season. So we're going to get that shift in volume. And we're going to see the bucket. We're going to see the the Bills kind of get back to what they want to do here against the Buccaneers. They're going to let them pass a ton, and the Bills are very happy about that. Kyle, real quick, we got like the Gerald Everett tribute from Dawson Knox on Monday night, like a real mistake-filled game, not on the Gerald Everett level where he committed three turnovers on five touches. 
but he's now been held to three catches or 32 yards or less in three or four games since returning from injury. This being Dawson Knox, the fourth game with a two touchdown blow up. Are we okay with Dawson Knox as a tight end one? Just you know, we just have to start him knowing like what he is, which is like the personification of a boomer bust player, basically. Yeah, I think Knox. I have like a little more trust. Like to me, he's like Pat Fryermuth, but with extra routes. Maybe a little, a little more competition for targets, though. He, I mean, he's played nearly 100 percent of the snaps. He's been obviously healthy for, but he doesn't have to like he like Pat Fryermuth competes with really you know Chase Claypool, who doesn't even play in the same like zone of the field as him, and then Deontay Johnson. Whereas Cole Beasley, Stephon Diggs, and probably even to a lesser extent Emmanuel Sanders and the running backs can all operate in a similar part of field to Knox. So he runs a ton of routes plays a ton of snaps, but the targets are going to be kind of hit or miss because he plays alongside really good players. So yeah, I think he's, I probably slightly prefer him any given week to the, like the Pat Fryer move, Tyler Conklin types, but he falls short of the tier that is Mike Kosecki and Dallas Goddard because those players can really run the same amount of routes, but just command a significantly higher target share. So he sort of bridges that gap that I'd guess falls probably like eight, nine, 10 tight ends, somewhere around there. Crane, real quick, we've talked a lot about the Buffalo Bills. There is another team playing this game, the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They've being told by Wikipedia that they won the Super Bowl last year. Chris Godwin, 15 catches last week. Mike Evans cooking. Gronk really cooking since he came back. Leonard Fournette leading running backs and receptions mm-hmm. now. Is this all as straightforward as it looks? This, those are four studs. We're starting the guy, those guys and not really worrying about it. Or have you seen any, anything interesting in the data lately? It's those guys and Ronald Jones. Am I right, Crane? You got it, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, no, it's those four guys, Pat, for sure. And I think the stuff that jumps out is, you know, the the latter two guys just kind of getting a ton of volume recently and Gronkowski and Fournette. On Gronkowski, he has a target on 28% of his routes, which is an extremely high rate, full stop. He has an 8 out of 13.4, which is very deep for that rate. I mean, that so now he's got an elite target rate for his dot just racking up a ton of receiving volume, getting a lot of air yards along with the high target rate. And a 13.4 ADOT is awesome for a tight end. I mean, we're seeing Kelsey's ADOT drop this year. It's one of the reasons that I've been a little bit nervous about him and you know what's going on with the Chiefs offense, et cetera. You're seeing the opposite effect with Gronk, where he's getting targeted like almost a, almost a deep threat wide receiver. I mean, I just talked about Stefan Diggs had a 12.1 ADOT. Gronk has a 13.4 ADOT. He's getting targeted deeper than Stefan Diggs. You know, this is not like your kind of Pat Fryermuth five, six yards downfield type of targets. These are really high value targets that Gronk's getting at a high rate. And over the last two weeks, he's run routes at 83% of dropbacks and 82% of dropbacks. He's now a full-time player in this offense. This is an elite tight end profile. And if anything, like it's not that it come, has come out of nowhere completely, but with the injuries that he was dealing with, the ribs injury, the back injury, a couple of weeks ago, we were not expecting this type of usage. It comes back from injury and has just kind of blown up into this full-time tight end. He was already getting the really high target rates and all that, but we thought we were going to have to deal with you know 60% route rate. To get the 80-plus percent route rate with this type of target profile, with the connection that he has with Brady, with the inability for offenses to key on him, he's an elite tight end. The Browns welcome the Ravens as two-and-a-half-point home favorites two weeks after picking Lamar Jackson off a career-high four times. Kyle Lamar then followed that performance up with a career-worst seven sacks in Pittsburgh. In week 11, he got zero blitz to death by the Dolphins. He's still like the QB three or four 
by average points over the past five weeks, but what is going on with Lamar Jackson, Kyle? Yeah, over the recent weeks, it's just been he's been getting blitzed and he's really struggled against it. This is from ESPN's Matt Bowen. In the previous three games, he's been blitzed on 54 dropbacks. His QBR, I thought this was a, his QBR was 9.4 in those on blitzed attempts, or on blitzed dropbacks. Fake news. I, I literally thought that was either a typo or it was trying to say he's good against the blitz and that's his yards per attempt. Because that's how low that is for a QBR. I just couldn't understand it. But yeah, he's massively struggled against the blitz. Like you said, the Dolphins, I think they ran, they like blitzed like eight defenders or something on like 35 plays or something insane. It was absolutely nuts. So they like teams have figured out what he struggles with. I know he even talked about it today. He's like, yeah, it's something we have to practice like every day in practice trying to go up against the blitz. Like, I'm not sure how actionable it is that teams blitz him because you can't bench him. He still runs the football for a quarterback at a league high rate, still like setting almost career numbers in rush attempts, rush yards. Like he looks like he did in his peak. So to me, like, yeah, it's probably that teams are figuring out better ways to stop him. I don't think he's been completely solved by any means. He's just too good of an athlete and has too talented of an arm to be solved. But they found his weakness right now until he improves at it. He'll probably be a bit more volatile as a passer, but his rushing alone makes him QB1. He's probably a little more Jalen Hurts than he is peak MVP Lamar. And that's okay. What's so weird about Lamar Jackson rushing is that he he doesn't have a rushing touchdown since week two. Like that seems like something that's going to explode, regress back to the mean down the stretch. And yet Crane, what are you seeing with Lamar Jackson? I think Kyle said it all as far as Lamar goes. I, I would just note that, you know, what's happening now with, with Jackson, in addition to struggling against the blitz, his accuracy has been way down since early in the season, his best four weeks in completion percentage over expected were all week six or earlier. So we're now dealing with a long stretch of him just not being all that efficient in terms of his accuracy. And it just hurts his wide receivers. And you're seeing now that Marquise Brown is down to 1.99 yards per route run. You're seeing Mark Andrews drop to 1.92. We're used to seeing these guys over two yards per route run. This is a little bit more inefficient than we'd like in their yards per target are, are suffering a bit. 8.7 yards per target for Brown, 8.5 for Andrews. I wouldn't like buy too much into that. I mean, we've just talked about how yards per target is not a sticky metric. And if anything, it does give them some upside from here if Jackson can kind of get it together as a passer. But that has been, I think, the big effect is that he's not been as accurate. He's really struggling. And so you're seeing the trickle down effect to his wide receivers. You're also seeing Rashad Bateman, his usage be all over the place. Only ran around on 38% of dropbacks last week, which is kind of wild. I don't really understand that on any level. Devin DuVernay was at 55%. So, you know, Sammy Watkins was at – oh, Devin DuVernay, 62%. Sammy Watkins was actually at 55%. So bo- both those guys playing clearly ahead of them. You really do hate to see that. So it just makes the wide receivers, I think, less reliable. Although my general feeling is that we'll eventually see Lamar figure this out. I think so too. But yeah, so you're talking about Rashad Bateman, Kyle. He had zero catches or Crane. He had zero catches last week, Kyle. I mean, is he on wide receiver three probation? Can we even trust him as a wide receiver four? I mean, cause as Crane was laying out, like the whole, the whole passing production is like kind of cratered these past three games, right? Even Marquise Brown is not coming close to posting wide receiver one days. He's kind of been stuck in like, five catch for 50 yards bill and yeah so kyle do you is rashad bateman can he you know it's the final week of the fantasy regular season can he truly be trusted as a wide receiver four right now 
Yeah, even four feels generous. Not, I wouldn't even say because of the team's passing. I kind of fall in line with Karain that Lamar is just talented enough and difficult enough to defend that he and his smart coaching staff will figure out the next step of counterplay to this blitzing. But it won't make a big difference if the team is using Devin Duvernay over Rashad Bateman, if the team is splitting that role, that wide receiver two and three role, three ways between Duvernay, Bateman, and Watkins over the past two weeks. Watkins actually leads the wide receiver two, three guys, not obviously Marquise Brown, in targets, but only at seven. The next two guys are at five apiece. So it's like, sure, I think the offense will have better days ahead of them, but does that really carry this part-time player in Rashad Bateman? I don't know. I, I don't feel I can accurately say it will. So I wouldn't trust him as a, as a four. I think you should be picking up like your KJ Osborne's Van Jefferson. I don't know if Van Jefferson's still out Leak. there, but if you could get him. Yeah, it's it's not a great look. We just need to see more of a full-time role, which I know he's capable of. We saw it like pretty quickly when he came back from the initial opening season injury. But in the past two weeks, since they got Marquise Brown back, that hasn't necessarily been the case. And that's, it's something where Given the offense isn't the highest passing volume, they're slumping right now. I probably need to see it to believe it before I put him back in my lineups. Crane, are any Browns trustable outside the running backs and Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt? I mean, Jarvis Landry did just have his first 100-yard game of the season. I Presumably, he's a little healthier after coming off Cleveland's bye. I guess, do we trust Jarvis Landry as like a borderline wide receiver 3-4, and that's kind of it outside of this backfield? Yeah, I think that's probably fair. I, the one thing that's a little interesting, and I don't, I, I like kind of throwing this stuff out there just for fun, but I always like caveat with like, I play small field GPPs and stuff, and I would never make a play like Donovan Peoples-Jones, but you do, oh boy. you do see the path to beating the Ravens is actually deep passes. And, you know, that's where they're most vulnerable. So, so a guy like Landry is kind of less appealing for this matchup. But just because he's, you know, so clearly ahead, I think he is the guy that, you know, you, you'd most want to play if you're playing anybody. But, you know, if we're talking dart throws, Donovan Peoples-Jones is, uh, is kind of interesting in this matchup. He has three catches of 40-plus yards. this year. And just, like, well, it wasn't that recently. He had a 57-yard catch in, like, week seven or eight, and he had a 60-yard catch the following week. Like, And the Ravens have not improved there at all, like you said, defensing the deep ball. So DPJ, you can't be trusting in redraft, but you're absolutely right. If you're looking for someone to make the salaries fit in a DFS and you're looking for someone, yeah, with, you know, zero-point floor but, like, a legit ceiling, you can kind of treat DPJ as, like, a poor man's MVS. Yeah, and I think he's thirty. What is up with these deep throats in these three initials? There, there you go. So every lineup you got DPJ. <laughs> I every didn't say that. Lineup under even cash. I think. <laughs> I think you said even no. you said you're grinding cash games with Donovan Peoples Jones. Uh, no, he did not say that. Small, yeah. This uh, it's a it's a it's a hope and a prayer play in DPJ, but there is some appeal there. We will be right back. The longest field goal ever attempted is seventy six yards. The longest field goal ever missed. Also, 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. 
great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. We're headed down the backstretch of the NFL season, and the NBC Sports Predictor app, powered by PointsBet, has you covered with Sunday Night 7. We're giving you a shot to win $1 million every Sunday night throughout the rest of the regular season. It is free and easy to play, so predict what will happen between the Bears and Packers this Sunday for a chance to win. Download today from your app store or visit NBCSports.com slash predictor. In the midst of a five-game win streak, points bet as the Chiefs welcoming the Raiders to town as nine-and-a-half-point home favorites. But despite all that winning, Patrick Mahomes has provided more than one touchdown in just one of his past six starts. This is Patrick Mahomes with one multi-score game and six starts. It was a five-touchdown eruption against these very same Raiders, though, three weeks ago, Patrick Crane. But can we really, really count on Pat Mahomes for another spiked week this week? Or do we have to go – basically, do we go by the rule of recent Patrick Mahomes, which is low volume – low touchdowns, or do we go with the exception, which was him nuking the Raiders three weeks ago? Well, we know the Raiders like to play a lot of cover one. They're not do- they're not doing this whole cover two thing that apparently shuts Mahomes down. I don't know. I mean, this whole thing's kind of nuts, but <laughs> if you look... So weird, yeah. Can he really be thwarted by... Co- it's this Patrick Mahomes, like, by one of the oldest coverages, like, oh, I'm just yeah. I'm helpless now, folks. Yeah, it's like... Uh... It's just some child playing Madden, jamming the first suggested play, and he is just crushing. It's like Lovey Smith was running this defense for years and stuff. Like, this isn't new at all. So, I don't know. I am skeptical of that. I think he's more likely thwarted by, you know, Byron Pringle running a route on 75% of dropbacks. That doesn't seem ideal. You know, he he had a minus 16% completion percentage over expected against the Broncos. Mahomes did. So, I think the bigger issue here is, you know, I don't, I'm not like thinking that he's lost his accuracy. It's more likely like connection with the wide receivers, you know? So can we get Tyree kill deep? If we can get Tyree kill deep, then we don't have to worry about Byron Pringle. We don't have to worry about Hardman so much. And this is probably a spot where we can get Tyree kill deep. So, you know, I'm keeping the faith. There's been a lot of concerning stuff with Mahomes in this offense this year, but I guess I'd be more inclined to to bet that we see another spike week given the matchup. But does Tyreek Hill deep still exist? The dude is averaging 11 yards per catch. Tyreek Hill, we know that yards per catch, there's so much that goes into that stat. But he his longest catch since week four was a 32-yard reception against these Raiders, of course. But he has two catches of longer than 20 yards since week four. Like, I just don't – this is like wholesale what has happened to the Chiefs. And it's just insane. He didn't lose his speed. No, you know, and when you see him, he still looks like Tyreek Hill. I, I'm not starting like there. I actually am starting to feel like is Kelsey fully Kelsey? Like is he is the age getting to him? I'm not worried about that with Hill, where I, I think he's still the same guy. They're just trying to figure out ways that they can use him more because teams are keying on on taking away the deep pass with him because it's really like the only thing that you have to be afraid of right now. So, will the Raiders let let him get deep? I I think. You know, my hope is that they they try 
the Chiefs try to, to kind of go back to their old school game plan a little bit this week. Yeah, so Chiefs, just watch film of you like annihilating the Raiders three weeks ago and watch some Tony Dungy film from like the late 90s, figure out what cover <laughs> two is, and then, yeah, it's how to beat it. Uh, one of the reasons they haven't been great at beating the cover two, Kyle, is because the running game, kind of like the Bills, is just kind of stuck in neutral. It's not like the worst running game we've ever seen, but it's not a power running game. They don't have anyone that's like stacking up like chunk gains on the ground. They don't have any, like, they don't have guys that you can just plug in that will like get more than what's blocked. So, with that being said, CEH and Darrell Williams basically played to a snaps standstill in week 13. CEH, though, did out touch Darrell Williams 17 to 8. Hopefully, CEH is still like the clear lead back in an RB2, correct? Yeah, I would say the lead back, clear lead back to me seems to connote some sort of confidence and I don't have the utmost confidence. Like you said, they played to a snap standstill, but when Clyde Edwards Lair was out there, he was getting touches on a lot of his snaps. But I mean, this isn't like you said, this is a team that we've seen them struggle offensively. They do have a, they're in, if there were a get right spot, it would be a team who doesn't care to actually play the defense that stops them. So I guess they're in a bit of a get right spot, but I mean, even RB2 feels a bit generous. And I think I will always be concerned with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire that he's just not the best running back on his own team at this point. Like, it's like, imagine if it was the Cowboys where we don't think at all Zeke is the best player on his team, but we also have less of a vote of his confidence in his volume and less of a vote of confidence in his team, in the offense, somehow in the offense and in the offense wanting to establish their running back. So it's just a lot of negative factors. Like if you told me you had him RB23, 24, I think that's acceptable, but like, I'm not even convinced he's the best running back on his own team. So I, I feel like I'll probably have him just inside RB2 at most. I've got him just inside RB2, but as we alluded, you know, the buys end next week and I could see CH falling more into flex range mm-hmm. than RB2 range next week. Crane, someone we've got rising up the RB2 ranks right now is Josh Jacobs. And this was happening even before Kenyon Drake's injury, but you know, Kenyon Drake suffered the season-ending ankle injury in the first half last Sunday, and immediately Josh Jacobs caught a career-high nine passes. His, his targets floor have been going up since Henry Ruggs got released, but now he, he's officially had a career game. It happened with Jalen Richard on the COVID-19 list. Now, he's a career pass catcher. He caught some passes earlier this season, but Josh Jacobs is going to be the primary pass catcher in this backfield now, right? And can we start – are we just moving Josh Jacobs further and further up the RB2 ranks? I think we are, yeah. I mean, a lot of the weirdness with how he was used, it it really went against what we thought he would be used like when he was drafted. You know, he looked like a guy who, if anything, would lean more towards just kind of the passing down stuff, and maybe he doesn't get used as like a workhorse. I mean, he was not like a true workhorse in college. He's like a committee guy who had some passing game chops. So this all makes sense, actually, that he's getting used more as a receiver. And, you know, he's pretty elusive. It would make sense to, to like, it all kind of fits with his skill set. Not having John Gruden there makes me much more willing to kind of toss out years of data about Josh Jacobs' usage. I mean, it's a big change to have the head coach who viewed this guy in a certain incorrect way no longer there. And now the opportunity's opened up. Jalen Richard at this point, like, is he that different than Wendell Smallwood as far as like a, you know, a potential uh, impediment to the receiving role? You know, I don't, he's not JD McKissick if we're using the kind of the Washington comparison. So uh, I don't think that 
you know, Jacobs is likely to see the amount of receiving that he did last week, of course, because it's probably going to be a spike week, even among, you know, running backs who see a lot of targets. That's a lot of targets. But he should have, I think, a much clearer lead role in the receiving game. And it's a big, it makes a big difference for his fantasy value. Kyle, are you in agreement on Josh Jacobs? Is, is, he, is he safe? Is Josh Jacobs now marked safe for RB2 usage? Yeah, I think he's been that way for a while. The the pass catching, as we said, the pass catching has been there for weeks and weeks and weeks. You have just so many mounting five, six, seven target games. So yeah, I think he's been pretty much in top 20 status for a while. Like this, if we think that, you know, the Raiders can even play a competitive game, which, you know, Vegas doesn't give them the best odds. But if we think this is like a high scoring environment where they play a, even a modestly competitive game, points are put on the board, you could probably argue him as like a top 15 running back pretty easily, especially if we don't get Jalen Shard back. I don't think it makes a big difference, but it certainly helps that he would play nearly every snap, I think. And he would play all of the important snaps. Like they would use Peyton Barber so sparingly for like third and ones on their own 30, you know? So I, I think if we get no Jalen Rashard, who went on the COVID list Sunday morning before the game. So you usually see like a week turnaround, but are like a one game turnaround. But that's because they have a full week usually. He has basically the amount of time you would have for any player who's put on early in the week before a game. So I'm not sure we see him back. Even if we do, I'm still very comfortable top 15. I'd be pushing him closer to RB1 status. The only concern is they are pretty big underdogs in this game. Vegas doesn't like their odds of putting up points. Yeah, RB1, Josh Jacobs, I don't think I'm going to go that far. This is like, remember, was it last year or two years ago where he caught like six passes in the first week and everyone's like, RB1, Josh Jacobs. We were just 16 months too late. Or too early. <laughs> Does anyone have any quick thoughts on this Raiders passing today? We don't know Darren Waller's status. He's day-to-day, which is an upgrade from week to week. He's the kind of player that we if he can go at all. They're going to jam him in there. You know, their season is on the line. But the Derek Carr streamer shine kind of come off a bit. He only has only two touchdowns in his past three starts. It seems like the ceiling, which was never great, has lowered, and the floor is less robust than it had been kind of for all the changes in Vegas. Any thoughts at all on Derek Carr, uh, Kareem? Yeah, I mean, my thoughts are that Derek Carr is like, he's doing the best with what he's got. You can kind of see, you know, that because we've had like stages of this offense, it's so clear who's getting open and who's kind of allowing who else to get open. Like when Henry, Henry Ruggs was there, we saw some Brian Edwards spikes because Henry Ruggs was hoping Brian Edwards get open. I don't think Brian Edwards can really get open on his own. And right now with Darren Waller out of the offense, the only guy who can get open is Hunter Renfro and he can only do it a few yards downfield. And that's obviously going to hurt Derek Carr. The nice thing about Carr and the Raiders situation, obviously we get, you know, the matchup here, which is pretty good. The Chiefs offense or the Chiefs defense rather has trended in the right direction. They're, they're starting to look a little bit better, but they're not like a shutdown unit by any means. And the Raiders are a pass first team. So we're going to get some volume this week, I think, out of the Raiders, even if it's, you know, some additional receptions for Josh Jacobs, probably a lot of short stuff to Hunter Renfro. Yeah, it's not the most exciting volume, but this is a decent spot to hope that you you get like three touchdowns out of car. Hunter Renfro is an inevitable, by the way, seven catches in five of his past six games. I should say at least seven catches in five of his past six games. So yeah, he's basically a wide receiver one. That's what you were going to say, right, Kyle? Yeah, I was actually going to chime in on Carr. This is sort of, you know, you, you can say the causal arrow probably works in at least more of one direction on this, but his highest yardage total games this year have come in games that have featured 60 points, 59 points, 43 points, 69, 58, 55. 
he unsurprisingly puts up a lot of yards and shootouts. Now, obviously, that does work. You know, he puts up points, so the total goes higher. Yeah. So the causal arrow <laughs> does work. But, like, you are not getting to a Raiders game that scores 69 points without his opponents also putting up points, is my point. His opponent should have, like, this is the spot where his opponents put up points. I do think, as I said, the causal arrow obviously works more in one direction, but, like, the Raiders aren't the only team contributing to a 69-point game, a 55-point game, right? So I think if there are spots that you want to be buying him, it is in spots where his opponent looks like they can put points on the board, and we expect that from the Chiefs. Yeah, they're not afraid of shootouts, which is nice. Having finally won a game with Russell Wilson back under center, points bet has the Seahawks traveling to Houston, a seven-and-a-half-point road favorites. Kyle Russ provided multiple scores, but he still couldn't really spike DK Metcalf, still couldn't really spike Tyler Lockett. I don't know what exactly he did with Gerald Everett. I guess that was more Gerald Everett's fault than Russell Wilson's fault. But what should fantasy managers make of this undead zombie Seahawks passing attack? Yeah, I think the transition to this one was teams that do uh, fear shootouts to an incredible degree because this is a team that, you know, no team in recent memory has more wanted to play slow, ugly football. When you look at like, like they ran the ball on second and 40 plus yards last week. Second Ooh. and 43. Second and 43. That was, I mean, they had like another run on second and 19. They threw a short dump ball, like it was a 10 yard play to Tyler Lockett on third and 30 some odd after that second and 43. They don't want to, like, they, they, they can't even maintain drives. They are right now running the fewest plays per game in the league. So even if they are, they've actually been a somewhat balanced. They've thrown like a number 15 or 15 and I think pass percentage this year. They're a relatively balanced team. Their pace is actually decent, but they just can't link together drives and their, and their defense just keeps giving up these long chunky drives. So they don't get a lot of plays in Russell Wilson still last week looked better, but it actually wasn't that I was just a good completion rate game. He wasn't throwing crazy deep balls. He actually had a deep left, like really deep would have been a nice DK Metcalf ball into the end zone, sailed out of bounds. Uh, so Metcalf never had a chance. I think he's improving, but his improvement comes with the caveat that even if he does get back to peak Russell Wilson, his team doesn't and has never, but this season is really something special in their inability to unleash Russell Wilson. So I think Metcalf and Lockett are certainly startable wide receiver twos. When you look at the volume, I think over the past three games since Wilson's return, Metcalf actually has two more targets than Lockett, although Lockett has vastly outproduced him. To me, that says they're both viable wide receiver twos. They'll be spiky, but they'll also probably crush you some weeks. I'm kind of excited about the Seattle passing game this week, and I know it's going to burn me, and I know it's going to oh. hurt, but I'm still a little <laughs> excited because what we saw after Russell Wilson when he came back from the finger injury was that his accuracy was absolutely atrocious. And that's not what we usually see from Russell Wilson. Since he entered the league, he had the highest completion percentage over expected of all quarterbacks. He's been incredible. His accuracy is legendary. This year he was before the injury, he was quarterback two in completion percentage over expected. And then just tanked when he would following his return from the finger surgery last week, he had a 16.5 completion percentage over expected, which is his third highest of the season. It's an excellent mark, kind of vintage Russ in terms of the accuracy. And that's with Gerald Everett, you know, kicking balls to the defenders and stuff. So very strong game from Russell Wilson. And this, this is a great spot, you know, and Kyle's talking about how they can't ever get anything going. Cause you know, opposing the opposing offenses are, are putting together long chunky drives. Like, Davis Mills is long and chunky, but he's not putting together no. long, chunky drives. You're not seeing it this week. You're not getting it. Oh, no. So, oh, no. <laughs> it shows over, folks. I just think that 
Just... That certainly is one way to, <laughs> to describe I think it's, I, I think it's worse. <laughs> it's certainly, I don't know if it like has a literal interpretation that makes sense, but it does have a visceral feel to it. That Viscerally is feels, spot on. feel it on a gut level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't, Davis Mills is probably a very fit, lean. <laughs> yeah, he seems to be spelt. He seems to be reasonably fit. But, but you uh, watch him, you're like, this is viscous. Yeah. It's gooey. It's gummy. Visceral yeah, level to spell right. See Kyle when he for that. I, I could not make that connection. But I do think that, <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's you know, great. if you're looking at DFS this week, I, I went through the slate and it's, it's pretty brutal. There's really not that much that is exciting. And so at first, my, when I, when I was looking through DFS, I was like, you could play one of, of Metcalf or Lockett this week. You know, I think both of them look appealing. Now I'm starting to feel like maybe you can even skinny stack rusts in there because it's it's just there's not that much stuff to do this week. But I certainly agree that but both Lockett and Metcalf are in play as wide receiver twos. And I'm even a little excited about each of them. I, you know, as as we're extremely used to, it'll probably just be one of them, not both. They never get there together. But one of them looks set up for a really nice game this week. I'm just going to lean into the microphone to say this. I'm sorry if I blow out your eardrums, but the uh, the Seahawks ran on second and 43 last week. <laughs> they, ran, they, they ran the ball second and 43. Well, you'd, you'd be surprised to find out the team they play this week actually faces the second highest run rate in the league. So, so yeah, Kyle, tell us about the Seahawks running because Alex Collins is supposedly returning. DJ Dallas played last week but had zero touches. Rashad Penny and Adrian Peterson both had 10 carries. Travis Homer had some big plays. I mean, is there anything actionable here? Anything we can possibly go on? Or I guess we can't say avoid the Seahawks running game when they're facing the Houston Texans. They're facing oh, the Houston can, Texans. Yeah, so yeah, I, tell us, tell you. can we just ignore the Seahawks running game, Kyle? Oh, yeah, you can, baby. And you look at the the one bright <laughs> spot was Travis Homer's 73-yard run. It was on a fake punt on fourth down. It was an awesome play. It's just not something that, like, oh, they draw up That's stuff. sustainable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that sounds, you know, like good economy runs on. They do punt a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a lot of opportunity. A lot of fake punt opportunity. Yeah, no, you can totally ignore all these players. They split the backfield evenly between Adrian Peterson at sub two yards per carry. I know it's a rudimentary stat, but, like, it, it fits the bill in terms of having seen Adrian Peterson at this age play. One and a half yards per carry feels just about right. So I don't think, especially because they, I mean, they literally brought Adrian Peterson in. This was in Rappaport's like first video tweet about bringing Adrian Peterson in, not just because they were banged up, which they were like all of their guys were questionable when they brought him in, but also because the team was struggling to run the football. Why they thought Adrian Peterson would solve such a problem is beyond me, but they did bring him in because they want to play him regardless of Alex Collins' health. I think it's a split backfield with not a lot of talented players. So I don't really care if they get, you know, they get to run the ball a lot. I I think it's at best a two-way committee, but really I think it's more of a three-way committee because Travis Homer actually ran a bunch of routes, saw I think like four or five targets last week. So to me all five came on fake punts, but yeah. <laughs> I I hate I hate this bit. You know what? I hate this bit. I'm leaving. No, but like they're a three-way committee and a bunch of not really talented players. In the grand scheme, they're perfectly fine. In the grand scheme of the world, they're among the 1% of the most talented running backs. In the scheme of 32 NFL teams, they are probably like 32nd. Is there anything to say, Crane, about the Houston Texans? I mean, David Johnson may be returning from illness slash his thigh injury this week. As of Wednesday, we don't know who's going to be starting a quarterback. It seems like it's going to be Davis Mills, but David Culley's making us guess. Anything to say about the Houston Texans, or are we just on to Detroit-Denver? 
Well, I mean, kudos to Cully because, you know, there's some gamesmanship here and, and you don't want the Seahawks to be able to game plan to be able to soundly defeat you with Davis Mills when they might have to game plan to soundly defeat you with Tyrod Taylor. So, you know, kudos there. I, I guess what I would say is, you know, Rivers McCown comes on the uh, recap podcast every week to talk to me about the Texans and he requested to do Thursday night football this week. So he doesn't have to watch Texas. So that, that might give you an idea of how this team is, uh, is faring right now. They're, they're just absolutely brutal. I think, you know, one thing that's, that's pretty wild, like stat wise is that Davis Mills is now actually more accurate than Tyrod Taylor on the season. Obviously he doesn't offer you any of the mobility of Taylor, but Taylor has been pretty brutal. And at one point, you know, yeah. early in the season, it looked like maybe he, was at least like a little frisky. That That is no longer the case. Uh, at this point, Mills might actually be the better bet at quarterback, and Mills is going to be real bad this this week. So that's where we're at. In case you're wondering, it wasn't a bit from Rivers. He actually is doing Thursday Night Football this week and not doing the Texans game on Sunday. So Rivers has officially been driven to madness by the... We put it at the end of the recap show at <laughs> Rivers' request. Just put this at the end, man. Just put it at the very end. He has been he's been driven to madness and Rivers we're all we're all thinking about you. <laughs> the Denver Broncos host the now 1-10 and 1 Detroit Lions as seven and a half point home favorites. The big story here at Crane is the week 13 breakout of Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon's absence. Melgo has resumed practicing. He's tentatively due back for Sunday's game. But even if Gordon does return, Pat, are we at least safely ranking Javante ahead of Melvin Gordon finally? Thank you for throwing to me on this one. I, I'm so excited to talk about Javante Williams. Very fun. Very fun. I mean, obviously, he's crushing all the metrics as he has all year. Running back seven in success per attempt. Running back 10 in breakaway percentage. Running back two in elusive rating. But the big thing is that Melvin Gordon goes out and we see a spike in his receiving usage and his receiving efficiency as well. He had a 2.71 yards per route run last week against the Chiefs. Second only to Kenneth Gainwell on the week. Now, he did have a meaningless catch before halftime, which is sort of like the fake punt run of catches. So, you know, I... I was going to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. For the showdown players among us, very not meaningless. Yes, yeah. it's meaningless. For, I mean, we shouldn't, like, really be that excited. Although it was kind of like a nice catch. And the fact that he was... Oh, it field. was a good play. Yeah. yeah. It was a very good play. But to your point, it was... They were playing prevent to just avoid... Right. They couldn't even get to field goal range. It was one, like one second, I think, or, or, you know, less than two seconds, right? So uh, there was no predictive value to it. Yeah. The but numbers it was good. juice. It was really his yards yes. per route runs juiced is, is my point, but it's still really, really good. And he's demonstrating three down ability. And I think it also gives him multiple outs to hitting value this week. If he's you know showing ability as a receiver, because he's shown incredible ability in college as a tackle breaker, that's immediately translated. That was on display last week in a bigger role. So we do, I think, have a path to value this week. He got there in week 12. Even you know, like I played him in DFS just as a pure bet that the role would grow, would grow. It didn't. It didn't grow at all. It, that was a bad <laughs> bet. But he still paid off because he's very good. He can get there in a limited role. You know, I, I think you're still rolling him out as a running back too with Melvin Gordon back. And the hope is that he's in kind of a clear one A to Melvin Gordon's one B. I'm not going to be any more optimistic than that. Obviously, we're over the moon if he's at like a 70 75 percent route rate or uh, snap rate, but I think he'll be more like 60% in 
in a best case scenario. And there's a chance he's at 45% because the Broncos are weird, but he can still get there because he's so talented. And in DFS, I think he's still in play, even if Gordon's back. Yeah, I am so ready to be hurt because like, it's so obvious. It's sort of the, you know, it's like we talk about with Zeke and Pollard, right? I'm sort of, I try and be realistic with how teams refuse to do the smart things. And we've had that all season where Javante is not clearly the best team on his running back. He's clearly one of the best running back on his team. He is like clearly one of the league's better running backs. As Pat pointed out, he's just breaking every single efficiency metric. And we saw despite his offense, you know, pretty much playing in shambles against Kansas City, it didn't matter. He was still great. I am just so ready for him to go out and see 14 carries to Melvin Gordon, 17 and a single target. But with that being said, they also face a team that faces the highest run rate in the league. Unsurprisingly, when you have one win on your ledger and a tie to their credit, you face a lot of runs. So even if we think that it goes straight back to normal, you're absolutely playing Javante because even if he gets 14 carries, 15 carries, he's just so wildly efficient that it kind of seems like it doesn't matter. And then as Crane pointed out, his ceiling, I would argue his ceiling is still that he is just the 1A, but imagine him being the 15, 16, 17 carry guy against the Lions defense. Yeah, you got to chase that. So there's a lot to be excited about in this Broncos backfield, but a lot meaning uh, one player. But still. One player. But we're, we're very, very excited, one player. true. But there's a so lot we're of excitement very excited about, about this one player. player in the Broncos backfield. We're not excited about multiple players in the Broncos receiver core who we should all really like. I mean, Jerry Judy should be a sensational second year pro. Cortland Sutton, it's kind of like a body control artist like DeAndre Hopkins. And then Tim Patrick, one of the better number three receivers in the league. And yet none of them are doing anything. Um, and just what is to be made of this Broncos receiver core? And is it as simple as None of them can be trusted as more than like a dart throw wide receiver three. And we just kind of got to move on and wait for the next Broncos quarterback at this point. I'm a little bit more interested. I'm, like they're playing the lions, you know, they're playing the lions and you actually beat the lions through the year, even though teams are running on them a lot. That's because they're way ahead of the lions as they should be. You know what you, the way you generally put up points on the lions is through the air uh, they're 30th in EPA allowed per dropback, which is obviously terrible. They're up to 14th in EPA allowed per rush. So they're, they're like kind of respectable. And they've actually trended towards being more respectable in the ground game. Because, I mean, this is like classic, right? They've, they've trended towards running the ball and stopping the run as this like bottom feeder team. That's how but you beat the Vikings, those... brother. That's how you got to do it. It's how you get. Oh, they did beat the Vikings. That's how you beat the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. So you, you got to, you know. They don't want to be embarrassed. That's like their whole identity is like, we're not going to be embarrassed. You're not just going to come in and run all over us. So you're going to have to actually pass on us and, you know, embarrass us. Is 110-1 not embarrassing? <laughs> They're not going to be embarrassed on a weekly basis. <laughs> over the course of the season, the results will be highly <laughs> embarrassing. But on each given week, they're not just going to let you come in and run all over them. And so I do think there's some upside for the receiving game. In particular, they allow deep passes. Only the Jets are allowing 15-plus yard passes at a higher rate. So this whole show, the theme of the show, is just me getting hurt on Sunday. I've, I've touted Javante Williams, which is going to be incredibly painful. I've, I've touted the Seattle <laughs> passing game. I mean, what, what am I doing? I'm going to go ahead and tout Cortland Sutton yeah. because he's yeah, got – I know, it's terrible. He's got a 16.3 ADOT. And if anyone's going to beat these guys deep, which is kind of the path here – it's going to be Sutton. Judy can get deep too as well. Judy's going to see some volume. But, you know, Sutton has – we're all kind of losing faith in Sutton. He's not seeing the targets. And while I think Judy's had an impact for sure, 
some of the impact is just the fact that he's Teddy Bridgewater's deep threat and that's going to be an inconsistent role. This is kind of the week where you could see Teddy Bridgewater's deep threat actually have a pretty decent target share. So if there's ever a week for Cortland Sutton to come through, redeem himself, it's this week. Kyle, is it as simple as let Jared Goff cook? He's got five touchdowns over his past two games. He's been he's held back by this coaching staff, but you know he's been unlocked by Josh Reynolds. I mean, I don't. He has been playing better. He's been playing better since Josh Reynolds arrived too, which is kind of weird. I guess there's. I, guess I buy none of this. Legit, no, let him cook. We're let not doing cook. this. Let him cook. Nope. No, no, we are not letting him cook. We, uh, he hasn't cooked in years. And even when he was cooking, it was really just yes. him, the face of the restaurant. And there was a chef. It was Ratatouille. Actually, Good it was Ratatouille point. where Sean McVay was in his, in his, Sean McVay was in the thing on his head, pulling the strings this, as Ratatouille. This guy was. even kind of looks like perfect, 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 actually. Like, perfect comparison. The and now he doesn't have was the I guess was it like Remy? It's got to be like the rat. Rem, the rat's name was right? Remy. He's a good guy, voiced by Patton Oswalt. <laughs> oh wow, I didn't. He I is didn't a good know. guy. Patton yeah, Oswald's I can vouch for him. He's a real good guy. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't have his his Remy. I have no faith in him, and uh, Vegas has no faith as they have a seventeen and a quarter implied team total. Wow. They won't put up points. They face a good defense, even when they face bad defenses. They can't really put up points. No, we are not letting Jared Goff cook. Crane, are we getting enough empty volume from Jamal Williams to trust him as an RB2? It seems like DeAndre Swift is probably going to miss another game with his shoulder. They haven't said that yet. Dan Campbell has said he's improving, but it seems like he's going to sit. If DeAndre Swift plays, we're probably immediately putting him back in on the RB1-2 borderline, even with health concerns. The usage is just too good. But if DeAndre Swift sits, is there? do you see enough empty volume to treat Jamal Williams, say, as a top 20 running back? No, definitely not. He only had a 40, 47% snap share last week. I mean, wow, that's crazy. Yeah, come on. You know, Swift's out. Godwin Iguabuque had 39%. Well, yeah, when you have when you have XFL safety playing running back for you, Godwin Iguabuque, you simply must. While we're pulling back the curtain, I, I'd like to reveal that I was reprimanded for headlining the Godwin Iguabuque <laughs> first career touchdown. And, you know, I'm just trying to give the guy some love. You know, he's get his first career touchdown. We can't even put it as a headline. <laughs> Reprimanded is strong, but yeah, so it didn't, didn't quite know if it needed that merited a headline. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was threatened with with uh, my job security on the line. Just Denny's for lawyers. You had a conference call <laughs> with did. Denny's lawyers. Basically. I did. I I consulted with Denny's lawyers. Luckily, he he's uh, always on the phone with them. But Jamar Jamar Jefferson or Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, they score their first career touchdown. We headline that, but God, okay, <laughs> this feels yeah. like a bit of an uneven playing field. It sure does, Kyle. Yeah, thanks for understanding. But look, I mean, if Williams isn't going to get, I mean, he'd need like 80% of the snaps for me to be excited about him, given the team total and given the fact that he doesn't hit big plays. Like, remember the thing with Swift is that he hits big plays as a receiver and a runner. Like, that's the whole play that no one can score points in this offense because it doesn't actually score touchdowns unless DeAndre Swift is ripping they won't off. let Jared Goff well, cook. That's, yes, that's you, you have identified the, the – I can't even do the bit. It's so gross. Yeah, I can't either. It's, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's long touchdowns <laughs> is the only way you're getting there. Jared Goff doesn't throw deep balls, so the only way to do it is to rip off screen passes, have big runs. That's not Jamal Williams. Actually, Godwin Iguabuque is the one who was ripping off a long run for his first career touchdown, which was very worth headlining. And also, Jamar Jefferson ripped off a long touchdown. So if anyone's going to do it, it's actually the other backs, not Jamal Williams. I think last week was was a dud that now has you kind of off him as like, you know, anything more than kind of a running back to fill in. 
Subscribe to NBC Sports Edge and get every tool for every game. Now, all of our premium tools for fantasy, DFS, and betting are included in one subscription at one low price. You can subscribe monthly or save 20% on an annual subscription. We have made it easier than ever with more tools than ever to wager and play with confidence with NBC Sports Edge Plus. Well, I mean, I guess that's the end of the show since we're not going to let Jared Goff cook. It's just a real shame. I think he's finally. <laughs> Are you saying that had we, you know, had the scheduling worked out differently and had you put the Jared Goff segment at the beginning? Yeah, the show would have been over. I just like, you guys just don't get it. You don't get football. You don't get the Jared Goff should cook. You don't get that the bills are finesse. Uh, the show's over. There's nothing to talk about. Well, Pat, let me ask you, because there was a prompt in here that we didn't use, and, and you're very excited about Jared Goff. What are we doing with Amon Ross St. Brown? Are we buying Are we buying him as a just like a wide receiver? I mean, you probably have him as a wide receiver one based on your Jared Goff love. It was 10 catches, was it not? And this is not a good pass defense. Vic Fangio, I don't really feel like it's a good day to unleash Jared Goff. And I guess maybe <laughs> the easy layups will be there for Amon Ra. And I did feel compelled. If you have a 10-catch game, I'd probably like have to get you back in the top 50 at wide receiver. And you know, it was interesting because, you know, this is what we were kind of hoping would happen all year with Amon Ra. But, yeah, it's uh, probably not really trying to jam Amon Ra in there this week. Route run on 98, uh, 98% of dropbacks last week. Wow. So it's pretty good. I mean, for a slot receiver, you know, that's pretty good. That's kind of that Cooper Cup. Like you Josh know. Reynolds has unlocked this yeah. offense. It's just pretty clear what's happened here. <laughs> and, yeah, this is why they've won. This is why they've tied – the Lions have just been a different team since Josh Reynolds came to town. You heard it here first, and that's what you heard here last today. Guys, what do we have cooking over at the website? Kyle, what do you have coming up these next few days? I was imagining someone, like, you know, murdered or something, and that's the last thing you heard was Amon Ross St. Brown, Josh Reynolds, unlocking Jared Goff <laughs> cooking. And those are That'd what you sad. enter the pearly gates of heaven thinking. Like, you see God, and you're like, did you – orchestrate some of this Jared Goff stuff? And he's like, yeah, I did, I did. What do I have cooking? Most importantly, to me at least, the, the thing I look forward to the most is spending time with John Daigle at 6 p.m. on Friday or catch it when it's posted a few hours later or Saturday morning, the DFS Building Block Show. You can also check out the uh, Value Finder DFS article comes out on Saturday. And if you have a premium subscription, you can also check out my Dynasty Stock Movers that comes out Thursday, Friday. I think it comes out Friday. Crane, I think we know what you've got, but lay it, we'll lay it on us. I believe it's... Comes out on Friday and it starts with a W. That's right. Friday walkthrough. It will be out. Waiver wire? Yeah, the, the waiver wire. Should, I don't know why they scheduled it on Friday. <laughs> and also, Daigle does a <laughs> waiver wire like column problem. earlier in the week. So it's also. Yeah, we've been meaning to change that. Yeah. No, the Friday walkthrough, I'm, you know, preview column, breaking it all down. Lots of good stuff in there, lots of good nuggets. And then also, I'll, I'll talk about the recap show. If you guys, I mean, you know, should be listening to that. Get all the good context. Talk to talk to you guys who watch the games. Got the uh, the fake punt nugget there. I mean, first first time we uh, talked about the fake punt bit was on the recap show. So check that out too. Yeah, you do an excellent job at the recap show. I got the rankings going up Thursday. I'll be updated all weekend. We have part two of our preview show on Thursday with myself, Matt Straub, Denny Carter, and John Daigle. For Patrick Crane, for Kyle Dvorak, I am Patrick Darty. Thank you so much for listening and good luck in this final week of the fantasy regular season. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble, betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave.